Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. If you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to the book of Mark. The book of Mark, it's uh, chapter 16, the very last chapter uh, of the book of Mark. And um, today's theme is that Easter um, is greater than fear. Now, um, I I don't know about you. I don't know in particular what stage of life you may find yourself in, but you may have gone through something like this where um, uh, uh, one of mine, one of my littles, um, every night when we go through the tuck in process and everybody knows it's a process. Yes. Yes. It's a process. Uh, everybody, we go through the tuck in process. There's a couple of things that happen. You get everything kind of settled. Then the closet light has to stay on. Now, is there anybody in the room? I can't see you online, but is anybody in the room sleep with a light on? We're all slightly judging you. Okay. I just want you to know it's a little odd. I mean, it's nighttime. You're supposed to be anyway, your eyes are closed. This is my argument, but rational arguments have no place whatsoever. So there's a light on there and inevitably after the light and after all that, there's this moment, daddy, will you sit in the black chair for just a second? Yes, of course. I'll sit in the black chair for a second. And then, I mean, she, she gone. Um, there's something about the light that makes the darkness and all the fear that's associated with that. Okay. And there's something about presence. That makes the darkness and the fear that's associated with that okay. So that's where we step into Easter. There's something about light and there's something about presence that makes no matter what we have experienced over the past uh, 13 months or lifetimes, um, it, it just, it, it's going to be okay. Easter is greater than fear. That's kind of the message of today. So Mark chapter 16, we're going to look at the first few verses. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can um, find the Bible app, uh, uh, find the live event in the app, and then track along with the scriptures uh, that, that are there in the sermon notes, all that kind of stuff. So Mark chapter 16, let me just set this up very, very briefly. Uh, Mark chapter 16 follows Mark chapter 15, as you can imagine. Uh, Mark chapter 15 is where Jesus is crucified. It is bloody. It is brutal. It is sacrificial, though. Jesus is doing so, and he's doing this stuff on purpose. This is not happening to him as much as he is allowing it to happen. And he's doing so for a reason. He's going to pay for the sins of the world. We'll talk about that here more in just a moment. Um, after he dies on the cross, uh, a man named Joseph of Arimathea comes, helps his body be removed from the cross and gets it into a tomb. And there are some women who are there who are helping. All of that happens on what you and I know is Good Friday. And then in chapter 16, verse 1, this is where we pick up. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices bought spices so they might go and anoint him. This is a sign of their devotion. It's a sign of their love for him. It's a sign of their uh, discipleship and followership uh, of him. Even in their disoriented state, even in their confusion, even in their grief, I'm not sure what happened. I'm not sure what's going on. They were stepping into this. And I think that's a pretty powerful statement. Verse two, and very early on, uh, on the first day of the week, that Sunday, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll the stone away? Uh, for uh, for us from the entrance of the tomb. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. If you're not familiar, uh, in those days, they used a stone uh, to block the entrance to these uh, tombs so animals and other things couldn't uh, get in there. Uh, it kind of set in a little uh, uh, crevice that had been uh, hewn out. Verse 5, in entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed, afraid. And they said to him, don't be alarmed. Uh, And he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. 
He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that it's, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. They said nothing to anyone, for they were scared. They were afraid. Easter is greater than fear. That's the theme uh, of the day. And what I want to do is just offer um, kind of three points of fear uh, that I think pop up in the story here and maybe in our lives as well. Fear number one, obstacles that are too big for me. In the lady's story here in, in Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter 16, they go to approach the tomb and what is their biggest obstacle? What's the thing that they're talking about? There is a stone there. How are we going to get in there and do the burial rituals and do the burial rites and kind of show our last moment of devotion in the midst of our grief and in the midst of our confusion, um, in the midst of this disruption and this disorienting feeling? I, I know that I'm supposed to do this, but yet there's a big stone and some of us have faced obstacles too big for us. Sometimes the fear that shows up in that shows up in the form of a question. Did you see theirs? Who will move the stone? Sometimes fear shows up as a question. Uh, Can can we have a moment here where we um, express some questions that might have fear? These are questions that have come to me over the past few months. Here's one of them. Will I get sick or will a loved one? Fear showing up as a question. Here's another one. Um, kind of on the other side, am I losing the rights that I have previously enjoyed? It's a question. It's a fear expressed as a question. Um, what is, what is going to happen? What is happening or what is going to happen to my job, uh, to my relationship, to my family, maybe to my finances, to my fill in the blank, what is going to happen? That fear feels like an obstacle that is too big for me. Um, will anything return to normal? That's a fear. Some of you have it uh, kind of on the other side. Or should anything like return to normal? Being a political year last year, what if my candidate loses? Fear. How do I deal with the isolation that this whole thing is? And the last one, what, what will the mirror reveal? Now, some of you are chuckling. I mean that more in just one way. Now, granted, I mean, you know, you do have a mirror and it does reveal some things, but not, not just, you know, whether or not you were the workout person or just stress eight, you know, I mean, whatever. Uh, but like, what will the mirror reveal? What will it, if I hold the mirror up to my marriage, what will it say? If I hold the mirror up to this other important relationship, to these neighbors, to my job, what will the mirror reveal? What will it say? Sometimes fear comes in the form of a question, but And it did for them in particular. But the reason why we say and are here to say this morning that Easter is greater than fear is because even though there are obstacles too big for me, God is bigger than those obstacles. Easter is bigger than fear because God is bigger than stones. You, you think, you think on the way there, you think to yourself, okay, oh, good, goodness, if I get there, if I'm able to get there, if there is a possibility of me ever arriving there, there's going to be an obstacle that is way too big for me. Some of us know what that feels like. Some of us have names for the stones that we think are out there ahead of us. And what I want to say to you um, is, is that there, the stone was merely a symptom of their actual problem. Th- their grief was bigger than the stone. And some of us have things that we would name, but actually there's something even greater, that's uh, something even larger, something even, uh, there's an obstacle even bigger than the one that we can name. 
here's the thing about God being bigger than stones. I mean, it's, you know, the stone was no problem. It's not as if Jesus needed the stone moved in order to get out. Later, in a different uh, gospel account, he's walking through walls. I mean, it's amazing. He just shows up places. It's awesome. God didn't need to move the stone so Jesus could get out. He's in there on the inside. Anybody? You know? That's not who... God sends an angel. Hey, will you go take care of the stone, please? Just get that out of the way. God didn't move the stone so that Jesus could get out. He moved the stone so that we could get in. Because... What is in the heart of God is not making our lives more comfortable, but is, is working in a way, is being there, being present in a way, is, is moving there in a way. It's the reason why Easter is greater than fear. It's moving in a way that you and I encounter him and are transformed by him. He wants us to know him. And that's why he moved the stone, so that we can know him. It's not so we could be more comfortable. I was interacting with someone um, uh, two weeks ago. Um, and as we're talking about God and the kind of concept of God, one of the things that was said was, yeah, I kind of think about God sometimes as a life coach. He's just here to kind of help me get better. Boy, we are rife with that. We think God is on our side and cheering us on and we'll just pay him a little on the side so that it's a good thing and he'll help us, you know, everything will move up and to the right. Listen, God is not here to make your life more comfortable. He is not here uh, to make you a nicer person. He is here to transform your life. And so because he is committed to that goal, He gets the stone out of the way so that you and I can step in and we can encounter so that we can encounter him. Easter is also greater than fear, not only because there's a God big enough to deal with these stones, these obstacles that are ahead of us. Easter is also greater than fear because God is already at work. Did you get the timing of it all? Look back here uh, in verse 2. Very early on in the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? So they're on the way. They're, they're thinking about what's ahead. They're moving from wherever place they were um, towards the tomb where they had seen him lay. And they're going, oh, okay, um, this is a good thing to do. But boy, I don't know how this is all going to work out. Who's going to move the stone? And what they didn't know in that moment, because they hadn't gotten there yet, God was already at work, even when they didn't anticipate it. They were thinking maybe they were going to have to find a gardener or some other guy. Hey, can you and your buddy push the stone out of the way? we got some business to do in here. They were thinking they were going to have to find a way, but God was already working, and they didn't even know it. They weren't at the tomb when they expressed this fear or the angel had moved the stone. And so the question then comes, and again, I, I get it, the question sounds something like this. Hey, I mean, the people down the road, they look like nice people. God probably has moved their stones. But he hadn't moved my stone yet. I mean, I'm looking over there. And there's some people over there. God, God moved their stones. And I saw these people. Stone moved. I mean, like God hadn't moved my stone yet. And here's what I would say to you. Just because you don't know how he's working doesn't mean that he's not working. Just because you can't identify how God is at work or even anticipate that God is at work doesn't mean that he's not at work. Um, Our second born, when um, we moved down here, he was in the His Kids program, the preschool program we have during the week. And uh, pretty early on in the process, um, one of the uh, things that happened, I picked him up after school. They get out uh, just after lunch, about 1.30 or so. I picked him up and I walked down to the office and I said, hey, I got, I got to finish a couple of things here uh, real quick and then I, I, uh, we'll, we'll get you home. 
So we sat down, and I mean, this sweet little kid, sweet little voice, uh, Daddy, what are you doing? I'm working. Oh, I thought you only worked on Sundays. <laughs> you and a lot of people. <laughs> and if I work too long, people get frustrated. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> Some of us think, oh, God, I thought, I thought you only worked on, on Sundays. I see you moving over here. Man, it's kind of nice that you've got things handled over there, but here's, here's, my, here's my stuff. And folks, I'm here to tell you, God is already at work. The reason why we can say the things that we say, the reason why we can celebrate in the ways that we celebrate is because Easter is greater than our fear of the obstacles that are ahead. And if you think, well, he hadn't handled my problem, it, it doesn't mean that he's not at work to handle it. And again, again, but God does that for folks like that, but not for me, which leads us to the second to the second fear. The second fear is that you don't qualify. I don't qualify. Verse 5, entering the tomb, they saw a young man on the right side dressed in a white robe. They were alarmed, fear. He said to them, don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. You see Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will find him just as he told you. They went out, fled from the tomb, trembling in astonishment, had seized him. I don't qualify. And instead of a question, maybe it's a statement, and maybe it sounds something uh, like this. I am uncertain of my standing in the world in before you, but I, I am just unclear about where I'm supposed to be right now because I cannot control what is in front of me. Did anybody encounter anything over the past year or so that you could not control? Anybody have decisions made for you? Anybody have things happen to you? Anybody have uh, 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 things that were given to you? You're like, hey, I didn't want that. This is not, I'm not sure anymore of my standing. I am uncertain of my standing because I see what is in front of me like the women going to see an angel here. I cannot control that. I don't know what it is. I don't even have a category for that. All I know is that what's in front of me is bigger and different and I can't control it. And therefore it makes me insecure. It makes me uncertain of my standing. I'm pretty sure I don't qualify because of what I've encountered. But in this particular case, who are these women? Who are these women encountering? Let me give you four things. Uh, First of all, they, they are encountering the God who is powerful. They are encountering the God who is powerful. When they show up at the tomb to do the thing, what they find is there is a God who is powerful. Listen, he is powerful enough to let himself be crucified for the sins of the world. He is powerful enough to bear our sins and do so redemptively. All the junk that's in your world, all the junk that's in your life, we'll talk more about this in just a moment, but all the stuff there, Jesus was willing to take it on. That's how powerful he is. He was willing to do that. Nobody was taking his life. It it happened at the hands of the Romans, at the hands of the religious leaders of the day. But listen, he was in complete control the whole time. And he was powerful enough to lay his life down. But listen, he was also powerful enough to be raised from the dead by the Spirit of God. And give hope and forgiveness and freedom to anyone and everyone who comes to him. Our God is a powerful God. So when they encounter him there at the tomb there, when when we've got this thing happening... It's a reminder that God is powerful. But secondly, it's a reminder that God is faithful because he did what he said he was going to do. Now, our world is littered. I mean, you just look on the side of the road. It is littered with promises that have been made and broken. Yes? Yes? 
It doesn't matter at which level you operate, on the personal level, on the geopolitical level. Our world is just trashed with promises that have been made and promises that have been broken, but not God. He is risen just as he said. So um, in other other, uh, accounts of the resurrection, it's particular that they say, remember what he said, remember what he said. And so here in the book of Mark, in Mark chapter 8, in Mark chapter 9, in Mark chapter 10, three different times, Jesus scatters his little crew around. He goes, hey, boys, I got something important to tell you. We're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. Don't stress it. I'm going to rise from the dead. In Mark chapter 8, they're like, uh. So Mark chapter 9 comes along. He gathers the crew. He goes, boys, come here, come here, come here. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. We're all going to go. I'm going to die. Don't worry. I'm going to rise again. Don't. Like, I got it. Mark chapter 9. Uh, okay. I don't know. One more time, Mark chapter 10. He brings him in. Hey, 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 we're getting close to the end here. You need to know. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die, and I will rise again. I got it. I just want you to know this ahead of time. And Mark chapter 10, they're still the same. Like, I got nothing, man. I, I don't... I don't think I understand everything that's going on. But here's the thing. He said he was going to do it, and he did it. Listen, all of his promises are yes and amen because he kept the biggest promise that he would die in our place and for our sins, and he would rise again victorious. He is faithful. Thirdly, he's good. He acted for our greatest benefit. When he died on the cross, he met our greatest need. This is the next thing we'll get to. Uh, but he died, he died to meet our greatest need and he rose again to conquer our biggest enemy. He acted on your behalf. And listen, if some of you are wondering, and I don't, it doesn't take very much in me to wonder if you're wondering this. Some of you are wondering, I, I kind of wonder what God's disposition is toward me. I want you to know that on the cross and on Easter Sunday, he acted for your greatest benefit. That's how good he is. And lastly, he's personal. He is moving toward you. He's moving toward you. He is intensely relational. And it's in that context of that relationship that he does his transformational work. It doesn't matter your standing. It doesn't matter uh, um, your status. It doesn't matter if you show up on Easter only. If you show up a few more times, it doesn't matter if you show up every Sunday. He is intensely personal. He is chasing you down. It doesn't matter your background and it doesn't matter your baggage. He wants to do in the context of a relationship with you, he wants to do his transformational work work. And so can I, we just walk through a few things here? Because some of you are like, hey, I get it. God wants to do some things in me, relationship. I get it. But I don't qualify. He wants to do things in other people. But when he looks at my life, he's like, uh, no, never mind. We'll we'll take a pass on that fixer upper. I don't. Let's start back in verse one. When Sabbath was passed, and then he names three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome. Let's just talk about those three women. Mary Magdalene. In Luke chapter 8, here's what we learn about Mary Magdalene. She became a follower of Jesus after Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. That's a pretty rough Saturday. You know what I mean? Like that's a, you got seven demons. You got things in your life that are so addictive to you that they control your personality. 
That they, there's forces, if you will, of darkness that are wrapped around you and they determine the way that you think and they determine the way that you relate and they determine the way that you act. Some of you know exactly what that feels like. And Mary Magdalene had this time seven. These things are at work in her. And Jesus liberates her, sets her free. And you think to yourself, well, I've got some baggage. Mary Magdalene did too. I want to skip. We'll come back to Mary, the mother of James. But Salome. Salome was the mother of James and John, the apostles. Um, A couple chapters earlier, and it's it's particularly uniquely accounted in Matthew chapter 20. um, She rolls up on Jesus and she's like, hey, Jesus, I've got these two boys, James and John. You heard of them? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Uh, they're really talented. They're very smart. They're ambitious. And they're, I mean, such good boys. So I want you to put one on your right and one on your left when you come into your kingdom. How about that? You thought suburban moms were bad about their kids. I mean, here's Salome being like, tiger mom, clear the way. Let's make this thing happen. Hey, Jesus, when you become king of the universe, uh, uh, James would make a really great vice president. And John's a really fantastic secretary of state. You should do that. Put them on your cabinet. No parent has ever been as ambitious as she was. And Jesus looked at her and goes, sweetheart, you have no idea what you're asking. You don't know. Because right and left, that's, it's a pretty brutal spot to find yourself in. We'll talk more about this in a few weeks. And then Mary. And again, so you've got Mary Magdalene, she of the past. Salome of ambition, uncharted. Uh, and, and Mary, the mom of James and we learned from a different account, James and Joseph. And you, you know what we know about Mary? That she was the mom of James and Joseph. That's what we know. Mary Magdalene, super checkered past, sketchy as can be. Salome, ambitious for her kids. Mary, toiling away in obscurity, just raising some boys. That's all I'm doing raising boys. And some of you think to yourself, I don't qualify because I have a past. Meet Mary Magdalene. Because there are some things that I really want. Meet Salome. Because nobody knows where I live. Meet Mary. But that's not all. It's not just the women. Look down, if you will. Verse 7. But go and tell his disciples that this is what has happened. Go tell these followers of Jesus. These are the ones who, just a couple days earlier, we celebrated it on Monday, Thursday together. Um, we, we celebrated the fact that Jesus had his disciples in a room. And they, they were celebrating the fact that, that, the, that God had brought deliverance and celebrating the Passover. And what they didn't know at the time, Jesus was trying to help a man, but they couldn't get it. They did not, not understand that God was also bringing a whole new level of deliverance to them through Jesus. And then when things got sideways, when things went crazy, the disciples, man, they hung in there and they stuck it out. They're like, yeah, Jesus, we're with you to the end, right? No. They fled. They ate with Jesus and then they caught the next boat out of town, man. They were gone. They were out. Those who had promised, those who had worked with him, those who had seen him do his miracles, because of their fear, fled. But don't miss this in verse 7. Go tell his disciples. And then what's the next couple words there? And Peter. And Peter. Now, Peter is one of the disciples, that's for sure. But God wanted to make sure that he 
they got called by name. Why? Because Peter was the one who beforehand was like, hey, Jesus, with you to the end, pal. They come kill me. I'm still down, man. I'm going down. If you're going down, I'm going down. We're going down together, man. You and me, we're in this thing all the way through. Jesus is like, oh, Peter, don't talk. Don't talk. Satan has asked to sift you, and I've prayed for you. And boy, you are going to stick it in the ditch. But man, when you turn, help your brothers. Help them. Uh, Jesus, what does that mean? I mean, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster wakes everybody else up. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> that guy over there, he's he, n- not me. I'm with you to the end. Oh, uh, Peter, quit talking. Quit talking. And what happened? Peter, the accounts, gospel accounts say, follow Jesus at a distance. Because sometimes we think that following him at a distance is safer. Follow him at a distance. Found himself in the courtyard of where the trial, the monkey trial was happening there. It was crazy. Kangaroo court, the whole thing. And he denies him three times in the courtyard. Once to a little girl. Rooster crows. Peter slinks out, full of shame, returns to his old life being a fisherman. And yet Jesus makes sure, go tell his disciples and Peter. Some of you think, I don't qualify because of things that I've done, because of things that have been done to me, because I'm toiling in obscurity, because, man, I've, I have come to God and made all these promises, like, okay, God, here I am doing the promise thing. I'm just doing, the, like, here I am. I'm never going to do that again, or I am going to do this again, whatever. And then this, and it goes, I, no, I can't. Uh, here I am. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Here's what that shows, folks. It shows just how committed God is to his transformational work in your life. He is more committed to transforming your life than you are to messing it up. And you think to yourself, hey, well, you know, I'm sure I can become a nicer person. He's not interested in you having a more moral life. He's interested in transforming you so that what flows out of you is like kingdom stuff all along the way. Because there's a, there's a lie that some of us have to live with um, because of things that have happened, because of choices we made, because of circumstances that have put us in a bad spot. We've had to make the best out of a really, really tough situation. One of the lies is that my qualifications are the deciding factor. But here's the thing. Easter is greater than fear because my qualifications were never on the table to begin with. If I'm the one who have to qualify myself for God to do work in my life, I am in a bad spot. Jesus is at work in me, not because of me, but because of him. The things that he is doing in your life, in my life, are not because I'm the one who qualified for that work, but because of who he is. Easter is greater than fear because our qualifications are not the deciding factor in his work. And secondly, Easter is greater than fear because God is committed to his pursuit of That's how committed he is. Go tell his disciples and Peter and Peter. Third fear relates to our greatest need and our biggest enemy. So again, verse six, 
The angel said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Go tell his disciples of Peter, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Our greatest need was, um, and our biggest enemy here uh, could be reflected in this statement. I know just how broken my life is or how broken the world is. Does anybody have to look more than four or five minutes over their shoulder to see just how messed up this whole place is? I mean, it's, it's crazy out there, people. And, uh, and we don't have to look very far outside, but also we don't have to look very far inside to know just how broken, not just the world, but my own life is. And the reason why Easter is greater than fear, because Jesus dealt with both the cause of things, all this chaos in the world, and the consequences. The world is no more broken than when death has its way. I mean, these ladies went to a tomb. They went to a cemetery. And that death is a consequence, and the chaos that follows is a consequence of the righteous judgment. We got the paycheck that we deserved. According to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of our sin is death. We got what we deserved. We earned every dollar of that. That is the appropriate paycheck for our rebellion. But Jesus dealt with both the cause and the consequence. When the angel says he was crucified, he laid his life down dealing, for, dealing with the cause that is in our, um, that, that causes all this chaos. He, he's dealing with us. He's dealing with our sin. He's dealing with the things that mess this whole thing up. He pays for our sin. He knows. They look down. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, they look down on all this craziness and chaos and havoc in our world and go, man, this is not the way it's designed to work. These people need a rescuer. And so Jesus comes as a rescuer. There's no way we could dig out of the debt that we owed because of our sin. Death was the right consequence for that. And Jesus dealt with that cause when he died on the cross, taking our sin and dying in our place for that sin. But also the consequence. If he died on Friday, he rose again on Sunday and dealt with the consequence. Our greatest need was met and our biggest enemy was conquered. Death surrenders to Jesus. And this is what this means for you and for me, is that in our lives, if we're followers of Jesus, death does not have the final say. Paul picks this up in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is what he said, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So what is, what is the plan? What's, what's the deal? God raised Jesus from the dead. And guess what? You and I will be raised with him also. Death does not have the final say for everyone and anyone who puts their trust in Jesus. It does not have the final say. Part of the fear, maybe you're on the other side of this and I just give a parenthetical note here. Part, part of the fear may be this. What, what if it's actually true? Because sometimes the scariest thing is to believe that your deepest and most secret hopes are actually true. But no matter which side you're on, if it is true, it changes everything. Everything. The Bible talks about this later in one of the letters. Paul writes and he says, listen, the whole thing hinges on Jesus rising from the dead. If it's true, it changes everything because it requires more than mere religion. 
It's not enough to show up. It's not enough to put your rear end in a seat on a Sunday morning or watch online. Hey, I'm a nice person. I watch online. Yeah, I go to church. It's not mere religion is not enough. There has to be in a personal interaction and engagement that will be transformative in our life. If Easter is true, then mere religion is not enough. Religion is the place where people run to be respected. That's not enough. Secondly, if it's true, it changes everything. It gives hope to our darkest days. And we have experienced some dark days. You look over the past year or so, we have experienced some dark days. Relationally, personally, physically, it gives us hope in our darkest days. Death does not have the final say. And lastly, it changes everything because the demands of Jesus then are not options for us. They're not options. Oh, well, I kind of like this part, but I'll leave that part to the side. Listen, if Jesus got up from the dead, we need to hear all of it and obey all of it. And so Easter then invites us to something. If Easter is greater than fear, then it invites us to something. It invites us to lay down our fear. Some of you right now have fear about what's going on in your world, what's going on in your life, what's going on in your body, whatever it is. And it invites us to set that fear down. Fear is one of those things. It kind of creeps up. You didn't see it coming. Right, and then it grabs you. It's not a sin to have it, but to take it and to set it before God, that's the best play that we can make. Easter's greater than fear. We don't have to carry it. It's an invitation to follow Jesus, but you follow him on his terms, not your own. And if you're a Christian in here, you know what that means. You mean, it means you set your yes on the table and then he asks the question. If you're not a Christian, I want to invite you. If you're in the room, if you're online, I want to invite you to hang around for just a few minutes or leave a note in the comments saying, man, I would like to know more about what it means to follow Jesus because here is his terms. You surrender your life to him. You say, God, please forgive me of my sin and take over my life. And he says, yes, I will. And that's it. That's it. I mean, how great, how amazing, how easy. He did all the hard work, folks. And you can follow Jesus on his terms. And thirdly, it invites you to speak up because there is a world out there that desperately needs this message of hope. It says here at the end in verse A, they went out from fled from the tomb, trembling in astonishment at season. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. But we know they turned the corner, man. The rest of the story is those women became the first carriers of the good news um, uh, that Jesus had risen, and then it spread like wildfire. So much so that two thousand years later you're sitting here today. There is a message of hope that needs to be carried to a world that is in havoc and chaos and brokenness. The fact that Jesus has risen, the fact that Easter is greater than our fear, that's a message we need to carry. So I'm going to invite you, just like Easter does, I'm going to invite you to lay your fear down. We're going to have a moment to pray. And maybe you want to take that fear and just set it before God. I'm going to invite you to follow Jesus on his terms. Again, if you're a Christian, you may be saying, hey, we've been having some problems over here, me and Jesus. And so I need to get some things straight. And so you are able then to do that. If you're not a follower of Jesus, man, I want to invite you to to today, surrender your life to him. Give your life to him. He will forgive you and he will take charge of your life. He will do the things that we've been talking about. And I want, you, I want to invite you, as Easter does, to speak up because Easter is greater than fear. I want you to speak up. I want you to give, be ready to give a word of hope to the world that is around us. Let me pray for us, and then we'll have a minute to respond. Father, thanks for a few moments here in your word. 
I do ask now that by your Holy Spirit, you would make the application that we need. For some of us, it is to lay down our fear. For some of us, man, it's such a um, heavy burden that we carry. And so for us to set down our fear, for us to to lay it down before you. It's the best that we can do. Best thing we can do. For some of us, we've put ourselves in a bind because we're not following you on your terms. And especially, Father, if there's someone in here or if there's someone watching online who doesn't know you, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would grab their hearts even in this moment. Breathe life into them so they can see you for who you are and understand you and know how good and how faithful, how powerful you are. And they'd give their life to you. And then God, in just a moment, I pray that you'd send us out with this message of hope because the world certainly needs it. That's our prayer, Father. Now make it our experience. This is what I ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.